I have never met him. I've yet to have the pleasure. Um, but his dad seems dope and like really, really funny. Whose dope dad gets the Johanna Buya seal of approval? The answer is coming up today on Follow Friday. But first, today's show is brought to you by OnMail, a brand new email service built for today. The team at OnMail gave me an account to test, and one of the many smart features I love is natural language search. What does that mean? Well, imagine you need to quickly find an email I sent you in March. In your current email platform, that is probably a pain in the butt to do. But in OnMail, you would just search for email last month from Eric, and it'll show up. Brilliant. Try it yourself by tapping the link in the show notes or going to onmail.followfridaypodcast.com. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Hey. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. Hey. Let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for place. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a show about the best people on the internet and why you should follow them. If you're new to the show, welcome. Every week, I talk to the internet creators I admire most about who they follow online. These include podcasters, writers, comedians, musicians, and more. They have amazing taste and will guide us to the people they find fascinating who we should be following too. Today on the show is Johanna Buya, an investigative reporter at the Los Angeles Times who writes about tech accountability and how companies like Google and Amazon and Facebook impact real people. We also used to work together at Recode, and I don't remember if she has any dirt on me from that time, so I will be walking on eggshells, just in case. You can follow Johanna on Twitter and Instagram at jmbuya, that's J-M-B-O-O-Y-A-H, and you can follow along with us today. Every person she recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. Johanna, welcome to Follow Friday. Thanks for having me. So nice to see you again. It's been a while since I guess it's, you uh, let's see you left Recode what twenty eighteen? Does that sound right? That does sound right. Yeah, I've been at the LA Times for a little over two and a half years. Yeah, well, we've still uh, follow each other on Twitter, and which uh, this is not one of your official recommendations, but I gave you the list of categories you could choose from today, and you looked at the category someone you have a love hate relationship with, <laughs> and you wrote next to it in all caps, probably my own Twitter persona. Do you want to explain what you mean by that? I mean, doesn't everyone kind of hate? It's like kind of the way that people hate the sound of their own voice. Like sometimes <laughs> I'll like look back over my Twitter feed, I'm like, oh god whatever I was feeling or thinking at that point is extremely cringy. <laughs> but I highly recommend just doing some sort of annual delete purge of your Twitter feed. It really is very cleansing. And it, and it makes me feel like my Twitter persona is a little more, I don't know, manageable. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'll scroll back in my old photos and I'll see like there was a session where like I took a bunch of really cringy selfies. And the only thing worse than that is looking at very old tweets that where I was like yeah. posturing a little bit too hard. <laughs> yeah. So this is actually combining my like two worst things. It's like having to hear my own voice on a podcast plus talking about my Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Feel free to follow me, though. I'm a joy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's find out who Johanna Buya follows. 
Before the show, Johanna, as I said, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category, Someone Who Makes You Laugh. You said Aminatu So, who's on Instagram at Aminatu, which is spelled A-M-I-N-A-T-O-U. She co-hosts a very popular podcast called Call Your Girlfriend and writes a newsletter called Creme de la Creme. So talk about Aminatu and why she makes you laugh. Yeah. So you and I actually know her through the same way, which is we all kind of worked in the same world. And also I, you know, when I had come visit San Francisco, we'd stay in the same house occasionally. But so I've followed her for a really long time, but she now posts like just a series of TikToks. And as someone who could be like very easily addicted to something like TikTok, I have not allowed myself to download TikTok except for <laughs> once. And it was like a three day just binge. Um, so I know that I cannot actually have a TikTok account myself. Um, but she will post like a bunch of really, really funny TikToks. And so like throughout the pandemic, memes have been a, a mental health savior for me. Um, and she just is like a constant supply of really, really funny TikToks. And, and, and I think there, I've like seen other people tweet about her like TikTok digest. Um, so it's definitely not just me alone. But yeah, she get, like gets like the best of the best, puts it all in one place, makes it so I don't ever have to download the app. And yeah, I mean, she's I think she's funny and really smart and thoughtful outside of that. And you should follow her because she does and produces really amazing content that's extremely thoughtful. Um, and she also is like someone who lives out loud. Mm -hmm. If you meet her in person, you kind of it, like it, it reflects her personality online really does reflect who she is in person as well. Like she does really live out loud. Uh, she and what, by that, I mean, like, good or bad, right? Like there's like, she will talk about tough situations she's yeah. dealt with or like her life and, and stuff like that. But also, uh, and, and be like today, for example, uh, I think yesterday she posted that she was running or something like that. Uh, and today she posted that like a bunch of people reached out asking her for advice and questions. She's like, I'm, I'm not like a runner. Like, I have no, <laughs> I'm not good at this. I'm not like, but gave like, she's like, here's what I do do. Um, and I appreciate that. And I think that's great. But I like her account has been particularly important to me because of the TikTok digest. Wait, so this is on Instagram or on Twitter or where is she posting the TikTok digest? She's on Instagram, which is why it's so okay. magical because she like <laughs> just posts her story and you never have to download TikTok yourself. And also like they're always like really, really funny. Like I share her stories more than I share anything else um, <laughs> because she has like, a good sense of humor or at least like we have a similar sense of humor. Other people might not think so. And so all the TikToks sort of are on point. And I think it's for that reason alone would highly recommend following her. Yeah, I mean, the thing you mentioned about people asking her for running advice, I mean, she does have some history of giving people advice and being very candid about, like, um, so the book that she wrote with her podcast co-host and Friedman, Big Friendship, they're talking about how this is not, all, friendship is not all good, fun, easy times. Sometimes right. it's, like, messy or frustrating. Is there any wisdom or advice you've learned from following Aminatu that you've been able to apply to your own friendships, your own work, anything like that? Um, I can't think of one single thing, but I do think just the way that she's really authentic. And I think that's something that really resonates with me. She's also like, she, yeah, she's just very real. She's not going to like bullshit and, and mm -hmm. beat around the bush. And I think that's really important in a friendship. I am living across the country from most of my friends now because I'm from New York and I, you know, spent most of my life there. And I think, yeah, it's true. Like long distance friendships are as hard as long distance relationships. Mm -hmm. And it requires a lot of work and it also a lot of honesty and communication, much like every other relationship. Yeah, absolutely. That was Aminatu So, who's on Instagram at Aminatu, A-M-I-N-A-T-O-U. It's Final Friday. 
Let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone you just started following, and you said Ruby Ibarra, who's on Instagram at Ruby, R-U-B-Y, Ibarra, I-B-A-R-R-A. She's a hip-hop musician who was born in the Philippines and grew up outside of San Francisco, and she's the co-founder of a scholarship program called Penis Rising. So talk about how you started following Ruby and why. Sure. So I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this publicly yet, but I'm helping out on the LA Times podcast, um, Asian Enough, um, and it's in its second season. And so as a result of that, and obviously people cannot see me right now, but I am Asian um, um, and I'm, I'm half Filipina and I'm, I'm half Bangladeshi. And as someone who has, is mixed ethnicity, I like struggled with the same question everyone who's mixed ethnicity or like biracial deals with, which is like, figuring out what your identity is and sort of floating between two identities. And as someone who is brown and I, my, I speak Bengali and, you know, my mom, who is Filipina, learned Bengali to speak to my grandma. It was a lot easier growing up to sort of identify with and engage in Bengali culture as opposed to Filipina culture. Mm-hmm. I have spent the last few years, I think, trying to get closer to my the Filipina side of, of my identity. But in particular, because of this podcast, you know, the title is Asian enough, right? And it's a question that I've sort of asked myself all the time. But as, as, as part of that, I've, I've just been looking up and looking into like more Filipino creators and Filipino scholars. And in particular, I was looking at people who could speak to um, what was going on with the disproportionate impact COVID has had on Filipino nurses, which we you know we've seen for some, you know, even though Filipino nurses don't make up the majority of nurses in the US, they do make up a really big percentage of the people who have been uh, either contracted COVID or, or passed away from COVID. And so she came up because not only is she a rapper and like a really, really talented rapper at that, um, she also works in, at a biotech company company um where she yeah like her day job is working at a bio she's a i'm pretty sure she's a scientist working at a biotech company um on both covid tests and also vaccines according to an article that i read about her wow yeah so she's fascinating and she and she actually is like incredibly talented like i didn't go to her or find her because i was like oh i i like saw or heard a song of hers and thought she was Mm -hmm. great i I went to her because i was like oh she's like a biotech scientist or something and then it turns out she's just as incredibly talented you know, she's very social justice oriented and mm-hmm. her Instagram account really does dig into some of the issues that Filipinos deal with generally, um, you know, and this is a little bit of like, like into the weeds of Asian identity generally. But like, even though, yeah, like not only was I between two identities, like Filipinos and Bengalis, like my two like South Asians even aren't really seen as like capital A Asian by a lot of people, even within the Asian community. And so and Filipino, like the Filipino side of me is the one that's probably closest to like what people think, you know, capital A Asian is. And she talks a lot about that. It talks a lot about what like being a brown Asian means, and sort of the rejection of or whether even Filipinos are claiming that title, you know, um, and kind of the the tension of or just the not tension, but kind of grappling with where the Filipino identity fits in with the broader, you know, Asian community. Um, And I thought, I mean, that all is really instructive for me. It's also really, you know, as someone who is just trying to get in touch with that side a little bit more, it's really cool to see like a a female Filipina creator just kind of killing it. Yeah, she uh, she and her band, I, I'm uh, maybe you can help me pronounce this, Balik Bayans? Is that something? Yeah, right? close, Balik Bayan. <laughs> okay, she and her band, the Balik Bayans, they submitted to the uh, Tiny Desk contest that NPR does. They submitted in 2019. I don't know if you listened to this particular song, but it's called Someday. 
It's deeply personal, very lyrically dense, but it's it was so good. I, I was yeah. not expecting to be really getting into, you know, a, a hip hop musician. It's not generally the type of music I listen to most, but it's just it's so good. Yeah. Um, so I'd recommend you go check that out. I wrote this album because I want my life to change. Tired of being shortchanged. I'm trying to remain sane. Hopped off the plane, didn't stop all the pain. My father's still in debt and we've been struggling to pay For a bedroom up a Meeklin app Reach up for just meet and have Hands tied against the odds How the hell you even that? People from the slums once Now live in the humdrum Mama from the bar You still be dreaming we could stunt once Mama yeah, I'm a huge fan of hip hop. And I just I yeah, again, I like did not go to her for her music. And and then went just to like, she's an amazing lyricist, like mm-hmm. really amazing. And I was really taken aback by that, particularly because I just had no idea. Um, yeah. <laughs> and there are also like two documentaries, I think that she is uh, the center of. And so, oh, wow. um, yeah, so she's kind of like killing it. Jack of all trades, <laughs> literally like a scientist and musician. Yeah, saving the world and entertaining us at the same time. It's yeah, awesome. yeah. yeah. So yeah, highly recommend following her. Yeah. My general thing with like new discovering new music is like I just don't make time to listen to anything that's as like smart and lyrically dense as her work because then I need to have the lyrics in front of me. So I can't do it while I'm oh, walking yeah. or driving. So I need I need to just like block off some time, just like make some time to like dive into her catalog because I really liked what I listened to so far. Yeah. I mean during the pandemic, the only music I've actually listened to is like like 2000 era pop while I'm going on runs. And I think there's like something about nostalgia and like the fact that time doesn't move right now um, (laughs) that has to do with it. So like that I even discovered her music or new music at all is a big deal. Yeah. Well, that was Ruby Ibarra, who is on Instagram at Ruby Ibarra, R-U-B-Y-I-B-A-R-R-A. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back in a minute with Johanna Buya. Today's show is brought to you by Captivate, which is a wonderful hosting platform for your podcast. And it's not just the place where you upload your audio. Captivate is packed with tons of smart features to help you grow. For example, there's a podcast distribution menu that tells you how to submit your show to every major podcast outlet in the world. So not just Apple and Spotify and Google, but also Amazon Music and TuneIn and Ghana and India. Shout out to my 19 listeners in India. I know there's 19 of you because I use Captivate to host Follow Friday, and I absolutely love it. Go check it out for yourself at captivate.fm slash follow Friday. And when you do, you can get a 28-day extended free trial when you enter the promo code follow Friday, which is all one word. So captivate.fm and use the promo code follow Friday. Before we get back to Johanna, a quick reminder to rate and review Follow Friday on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or CastBox or Stitcher or Podcast Addict. Okay, I know, that's a lot of places to leave a review. But don't worry, you don't need to remember them. Just go to lovethepodcast.com slash followfriday. When you do, you'll get links to all the places right there. That's lovethepodcast.com slash followfriday. Thank you. Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. Johanna Buya, I asked you to tell me about someone you're jealous of. And you said the journalist Kashmir Hill, who is on Twitter at Cash Hill, that's K-A-S-H-H-I-L-L. 
So talk about Kashmir's work and what she does that makes you jealous. Yeah. So I wouldn't say jealous necessarily. I would say like a combination of intimidation and respect, which I guess like together could be jealousy. (laughs) She's just an incredible reporter and she's been around for a while and has been doing really amazing privacy and surveillance and uh, journalism. And the thing that I respect the most about her is that her motivation and her North Star always is keeping the powers that be accountable and just doing good journalism, right? And I think that there are a lot of people who are big names in their in their own right, um, or have sort of ascended to like a really like almost celebrity status within the journalism industry, and kind of uh, sort of are coasting off of that now. Like they're Mm. that's like their brand and that's that's their calling card. Whereas for her, like she could have easily gone that route like she's a big name reporter who's been around forever and like you know everybody knows who she is and yet she just like all she does is like amazing reporting and like every single story is just really good and like really well reported and is like i don't think i've ever read a story of hers that wasn't like a bombshell Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean i just i really respect her i think i mean it's great to have someone who again is a woman in the industry doing this as well as she does and now i'm covering surveillance so like there's probably a little bit more envy involved now (laughs) (laughs) um like i yeah i mean i i don't really think that i'm in the same caliber as her but i i do it is like when she gets a privacy story it's a story that i did get right so like there's probably going to be a little bit more envy now but it it genuinely is all just like respect and awe and like it also like is very motivating for me Mm -hmm. like especially when i when i first started in media and i don't know if this was the case when you started but it did seem like um because it's like 2013 2014 there was a lot of like um, you know, individual media personality centered brands. And right. there was a lot of like elevation of that. And, and we're, we might be returning to that with like Substack and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think like the route forward really increasingly looked like, or at least like the sustainable, profitable route forward was like, be, be a brand and like really build a, a, like a brand around yourself and, and your journalism. And I think it's, it, that is like a really like totally fine, totally great way of going about media and totally great route if that's what you choose. But I, in my mind, like what I've always wanted to do is like do really good journalism. And if notoriety or fame or like, you know, build a brand comes as a consequence of that good journalism, like I think that's great. And like, that's totally fine, but it's not what I would be seeking out. And her having someone like Cash Hill, like in the industry doing what she does, like shows that there is still like that option as a reporter to just like report till you die. Because that's what I tell people all the time. I'm like, I'm going to be a reporter till I die. Like, <laughs> if you want me to be an editor, sure. It might just suck for all the reporters <laughs> because I'm going to be a reporter till I die. And the worst will still editors, be reporting in the background. Yeah. yeah. Like the worst editors are the reporters who are not done reporting. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. So that's why. Yeah. I think like her work speaks for her, her itself. But yeah, she's just incredible. She's like, you know, she's a force to be reckoned with. I'm, I'm yeah. If you don't follow Cash Hill already, even if you're not like super interested in privacy, she like privacy reporting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. She writes about it in a way that makes you care or like at least tells you why you should care. Yeah, I mean, it's like super important. This is one of like the most important things to be writing about now. Uh, so she's at the New York Times, you're at the LA Times, and something that you've been focusing on there is uh, government surveillance, how it affects vulnerable groups, especially like black and brown people in America, Uyghurs in China, people like that. Um, could you talk a little bit about just how prevalent this technology is, just getting to why, why this is so important? And like, and, and what, if anything, people are doing to protect themselves? 
Sure. Yeah. I think the reason why it's so important right now is because it not only like there's a lot of focus on like overt surveillance tech. So we're talking facial recognition, license plate readers, things like that. Right. And so but there is also like this other thing happening where our data, because we're like so unconditionally willing to give it away to tech companies and whomever, that is also being used to track us as well. So we're sort of like in, at, at this point in like in our privacy where we have a very like we have very, very low expectations for privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have like law enforcement agencies and private companies, they're trying to, you know, make revenue off of our data. But in the case of law enforcement agencies, like we're giving them basically access or we're giving them this treasure trove of data of personal information that they now like know and and have the legal authority to tap into. So it's like, yeah, there's facial recognition and that we should definitely be worried about that because it's it's like, you know, there are security cameras with facial recognition features, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's a feature that's being sold in the security camera industry as a perk, even though there's all of these like really valid uh, ethical issues about it. And we also don't even know how well it works, right? Like, or, right. It, or in fact, we actually know that it does not work that well on brown and black people. But then, yeah, there's this other, the, this other crisis of like, yeah, like humans, we, we literally are like, our, our user information is not protected at all. And these two things together makes an environment environment where like it's incredibly difficult for us to protect ourselves from being monitored or tracked either through tools that are built to do this or through things like law enforcement requests to companies like Google, which I wrote about today, right? Like, mm-hmm. like federal agencies are able to just request your user information from these tech companies by law through several different types of requests. And so, yeah, so it's just the, the combination of the two things is, is I think is a really, it's kind of a, a ter- it's not new, but it is a very terrifying phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> so back to uh, Cash Hill for a moment. Uh, as reporter, you know, following another reporter, is there anything that you've learned from following her work that's made you either a better journalist in general or that has, I don't know, changed your mind, changed your perspective on surveillance and the things you're both covering? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think the big thing is like a lot of people, again, because there's such a low expectation for privacy, what I've found so far that readers say that they care about privacy and they'll like get riled up about a story based on a tweet or whatever, uh, but they're not actually reading the story. And Mm. I think the issue is that privacy journalism typically has not like made it about the humans, like about people and br- brought it back to show like what the actual impact is on people. And Cash does this like amazing thing where she puts herself at the center of the story in a way that is like journalistically sound. Like I think that journalists should never be a part of the story except for the way that she does it, which is like <laughs> she like will go and like FOIA records on herself or she'll find out what information tech companies have on her. Even if it's not about herself, she's able to like just show you the actual human impact of privacy issues. Um, which I think one is really hard to do and two is just not done enough and it's why like even my eyes glaze over when I see some privacy stories I'm just like I I cared very deeply about this but I like cannot bring myself to care about this story yeah and so that's something that you know I've been trying to do more of as well which is like center it more on the human obviously there's going to be an audience for someone who like want like wants to know about the data broker side of it or like the tech side of it like how that technology actually works I think if my broader motivation is to just like bring a lot of these issues to light and hold the the companies and agencies that are participating in this like surveillance apparatus accountable. The strategy should be to like bring it back home to people and show them what like why it matters and how it matters. 
Yeah, I think I think this was her. I think she did a series where she was trying to cut all the big tech companies like out of her life. Like she was trying to cut Google out and cut Amazon out like completely and see how much she could extricate herself from 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 all of the ways that they are collecting data about people. And I think it was Google where she was just like this is basically impossible. impossible. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean <laughs> so nuts. again something like that could be like totally stunt journalism, right? Like done by like almost anyone else. It would be like mm-hmm. really like it would be like kind of like a weird shtick and like it'd be like sort of passed off as performance art basically but hers was just like real like it's like in addition to actually testing it out in herself like she brought in like real deep reporting and yeah i think it's hard to do she does a lot of things that are really hard to do ethically really really well yeah well, that was cashmere hill who's on twitter at cash hill k-a-s-h-h-i-l-l it's final friday We have time for one more follow today. Johanna, I asked you for someone super talented who's still under the radar, and you said Ahmed Ali Akbar, who is at Rad Brown Dads on Twitter. Talk about what Ahmed does and why he needs more followers. Yeah, so Ahmed, full disclosure, is a friend, Mm -hmm. and we used to work together at BuzzFeed, um, and he had a podcast at BuzzFeed called See Something, Say Something that talked about, like, Muslim identity and Muslim diaspora, things like that. And he's just, he's really, really funny. Um, His name is Rad Brown Dads because he started a blog, like a Tumblr, back in the day that just, like, were pictures of, like, cool dads like back in the day (laughs) like you know like indian dads with bell bottoms stuff like that um and so he's just really really funny and a really great incredible guy obviously i'm biased because he's a friend but he does really incredible work as well so like he does a lot of food writing that is really unique in that it doesn't just talk about oh yeah like this food is really popular in this culture it like really Mm -hmm. talks about the meaning and the importance of like different foods or different and 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 how it really intertwines with our our daily life but also you know his podcast is really great like see something say something is still on spotify and he has his own um, patreon and writes every so often about identity and, and things like that but he's also just like really funny on twitter you should you should definitely follow him yeah, if I have the history right, to so see something, say something, started at BuzzFeed, and yes. then now he's independent. He's an independent podcaster, writer, et cetera. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So BuzzFeed like got rid of most of its podcasts after a while. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the good thing is he was able to continue it on on his own. That's so good. So, yeah. And you've been a guest on that show, right, in, in the past? Yeah, the first episode. So again, like full bias, right? (laughs) um, The first episode is probably the worst episode. So don't you do not have to listen to not because you were there for other reasons. Probably (laughs) because I was there. Um, But like I mean, like I was saying at the beginning of the episode, I just get so like fully embroiled and like um, sucked into the thing that I'm working on that the outside world does not exist. It like just moves on without me. And so, you know, I went on this episode to talk about like Muslim identity and it's just like everything went back to like tech reporting and and I, I just like could not pull my head out of it, which is like, Unfortunately for you, why I'm not a great podcast guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nonsense. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, other than that first episode, you should definitely listen to the to, to the podcast. And I think you know, there are a lot of people who are writing about South Asian identity, but Ahmed is really educated about it. And he, um, you know, is, is really smart about it. And, and um, I think probably more thoughtful and has more nuanced ideas than most people. And, you know, yeah, definitely uh, worth a follow. Do you have, I don't know if you recall from any of his Rad Brown Dad's days, do, do, you, do you have a favorite example of a Rad Brown Dad that, 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 he, uh, that he put on put on his platform? 
I can't think of a specific example, but he does a lot with his own dad and he like his own dad has come on like the podcast and I have never met him. I've yet to have the pleasure, um, but his dad seems dope and like really, really <laughs> funny. And his relationship with his dad is actually very sweet. So I think probably the raddest brown dad that Ahmed has ever like talked about is his own. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Ahmed Ali Akbar, who is at Rad Brown Dads on Twitter. Johanna, thank you for sharing your follows with us today. Before we go, let's make sure listeners know how to find you online as well. Where do you want them to follow you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at jmbuya, buya spelled like the way you think it is. And yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter and I'm very annoying on there. I'm very like self-promotional about my stories, but then sometimes I'll tweet about like weird things that my family member, mostly my husband or my mom do. Um, <laughs> so if you want some weird tweets mixed in with tech tweets feel free to follow me <laughs> well, you can find me on twitter at hey hey esj and this show on twitter or instagram at follow friday pod the most important thing you can do to support follow friday is to tell a friend about it so take a minute now think of one person you know who would like this episode and please send it to them thank you Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermawan. Additional music by Purple Planet Music, Starfrosh, and Catherine Chang. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday. <laughs>